Good morning, all. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 26, can be found on page 1171. Galatians 5. Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage or selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you for Thank you, Val. Is that better? Good. Good morning. My name's Colin, one of the pastors here. Great to have you with us. As um, uh, Alex said, this is the last in our series on the Holy Spirit. Next week, Cameron's getting us into 1 Peter. What's the title of that series? True Life. True Life. So come along and see what True Life is all about. Um, before uh, I did this for a living, I was a radiographer. And when I was training to be a radiographer, the, like the, the basics of it... Um, to start with is learning positioning of the patients. You get people in weird positions to get produce a particular image. And in the textbooks, everyone was like perfectly average. In fact, probably less than average. They're so like 
like slim that you could actually see the bones. Never need an x-ray to see the bones. And so the position on that kind of person in the book would have been really simple. But um, later in my career, as a, uh, as a clinical tutor, it was my job to help the students relate that theory to practice, to be able to actually do it on real people. Because in real life, people come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, don't they? You know, some people, genuinely, some people's knees are the size of other people's waists. That's, that's just how people are. And you have to try and get them all, basically, to look the same. Um, so this example is a nasal bones. I've never x-rayed a nasal bones on someone who was sober. You know, generally, you, you get drunk, <laughs> you break your nasal bone. That's, that's, that's the way it goes. Real life is harder than the theory. It's more messy. But what about the normal Christian life? All right, because it's one thing knowing the theory, isn't it? You know, we know Christ died to save us from our sins. We're saved by grace, and we know he's given us his, his spirit so when we came to believe in him. So now it's as good as Jesus being in us and with us. And we're empowered to live for him by, the, by his spirit. That's all good, true stuff to know. But real life's hard, isn't it? And this week, today even, we've sinned. We've gone against God. We've added to our record of wrong that we need Jesus to pay for. So shouldn't we be doing better than this? Well, today we're going to look at what the Bible realistically expects the spirit-filled life to look like. Um, what, what it looks like to mean to walk in the spirit or by the spirit, to live the normal Christian life that brings gradual, long-term, permanent change to be more like Jesus. So real life. So just some context for this letter of Galatians. Paul wrote this to uh, Galatia, modern-day Turkey, about 50 AD. And they, they were a church. They knew they were, genuine, they were genuinely saved, and they knew that. But they found themselves falling out with each other. There was lots of division. And then to make matters worse, there'd been some false teachers coming in and telling them, oh, we know what your problem is, all right? It's all very well um, believing the gospel about Jesus. That's great. But um, that's the basics. You've got problems now because you need to get more advanced. You know, there's a bit more that you need to know. And we've got a 10-point program that will help you sort it all out. You know, what you need is the old Jewish traditions, the old Jewish law. You need to follow all of that. And um, beginning fellows, of course, you know um, how you need to follow that, the Jewish law. Okay. So Paul's writing to stop this. To remind them that they were not saved by keeping the law in the first place. But through grace, through the spirit. So back in chapter 3, he's uh, said this to them. He was reminded them, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now going to try and finish by means of the flesh? So they began with the Spirit. They began with the Holy Spirit, bringing them to trust and believe in Jesus. So they shouldn't now go backwards and start looking for answers in their own ways, in their own works, rather than by faith in Jesus and the Spirit at work in them. So walking through real life together with all its problems by the Spirit means to continue in that original gospel message. 
stick with that original gospel message, spurred on by that same spirit, having faith in him, obeying him. So that Paul can say in today's passage, chapter 5, verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So not under the law there, that means um, we're not under God's judgment that we deserve for not obeying God's law. Because Jesus has completely fulfilled the law and his perfect record is made real in us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' perfect fulfillment of the law made real in us by the Holy Spirit. So that the first way we know that we're walking in the Spirit is if we're sticking to the same original gospel, the good news about Jesus. We grow to be more like Jesus, we mature in Christ, but we never graduate from Jesus. We never stop needing the gospel. You know, in one sense, the gospel is the simplest message in the world. And yet, it's a multifaceted diamond that we can spend a whole lifetime knowing better, knowing more deeply. And I think we still need to hear that regularly, that the gospel of grace, won at such great cost, it, making everything all right, it can seem, it can seem like too, too good to be true, can't it? The gospel of grace making everything right between us and God. It, it feels like we might be missing something. So we'll always tend to drift towards adding some extra stuff that we need to do to add to the gospel to be saved, to be counted as one of God's children. But we don't need to do anything else because Jesus, who has given you, you his spirit, guaranteeing your salvation, has done everything. And that leaves us free from being a slave to following laws or rules in order to get saved. And that brings us to our, sorry, that's a long introduction, but that brings us to our first point now. I've done that preacher thing. And now we're getting to the first point. <laughs> well, don't worry, the others are quicker. All right. How to use your freedom. Uh, Paul begins this section on walking by the Spirit very practically, you know, very down to earth realistically. So, a thing that was new to me when we came to Australia is the idea of school muck-up day at the end of year 12. That's a thing, apparently. Um, I, think, I think it was Alex telling me this one about um, somebody brought in three live sheep to school and let them loose. And they'd painted numbers on the side. One, three, and four. <laughs> That's pretty clever, isn't it? So, of course, they spent the rest of the day looking for number two that didn't exist... But schools have really clamped down on school muck-up days. Because as soon as you say you don't have to follow the rules, our default is to go too far, to indulge ourselves too much in destructive behaviour. So Paul knows what's going to pop in their heads when freedom is on offer. So verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but... Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Uh, so we saw this idea of flesh or sinful nature when we looked at Romans 8. So my flesh is my humanity in its narrowest sense without reference to God. Um, my flesh is my own heart's desires. My flesh is, is me. 
And the very practical opposite of indulging in the flesh here is to serve one another humbly in love. Because if we don't have love, we don't have true freedom. Doing whatever you feel like doing, chasing after, um, trying to indulge your flesh is basically what the world tells us life is all about. And in the life course, uh, we began that course by looking at King Solomon. And he had the the resources to really try this out, to try everything on for size, indulge himself in in work, in wealth, education, vanity projects, sex, arts, everything he tried. And what did he find? Not freedom, but slavery. He became a slave to chasing after meaning and satisfaction. Now, true freedom is found in serving one another humbly in love. So how can we do this? Just some ideas. Invest in friendships with one another. I think men especially are terrible at making friends. But we can serve each other greatly if we can be for one another that trusted person um, whom you can tell how you're really going, who you can pray for, who you can hold accountable, who you can listen to, who you can just cope with life by having a laugh with them. Or how about forming a prayer triplet uh, with two others that you can really trust so that you know you're always going to have that safety net of bringing even the darkest corners of your life to God in prayer. Or find someone to read the Bible with one-to-one. Or find someone a life stage ahead of you to mentor you. Um, Tim Chester has a book that's got a new cover now, You Can Change, and he puts it like this. God is using different people, the contrasting personalities in your church, to change your heart. He's using the difficult people, the annoying people. We don't have any of those. The difficult people, the annoying people, the sinful people. He's placed you together so you can rub off each other's rough edges. It's as if God has put us, like rocks, into a bag and is shaking us about so we collide with one another. Sometimes sparks fly, but gradually we become smooth, beautiful, smooth gemstones. So remember the next time someone is rubbing you up the wrong way, God is smoothing you down. God has given you that person in his love as a gift to make you holy. Serve one another humbly in love. That's true freedom. That's walking by the Spirit. Next, next heading, stepping out. Verse 18, it says, if you are led, if you, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? And it's worth pausing for a moment isn't it? and just checking ourselves. What do we think that means? And does that line up with what the Bible means by led by the Spirit? So often people think it, this means that the Spirit leads us in various ways to make the decisions that he would like us to get right about personal choices. So career or marriage, major purchases. And people will feel that the Spirit is leading them if they have a strong desire or a recurring thought, which seems to be affirmed by a Bible verse or a coincidence that's too much to be a coincidence. The trouble is that's all a bit 
uncertain, isn't it? I heard a US pastor describe it as the Cheerios method of being led. You know, you're sitting at breakfast, staring at your cereal, asking the spirit to give you a message. And the trouble is, as you stare at the Cheerios, it's always the same message. There's much more to say about um, guidance, how we should look for guidance in a a Christian godly way. The short version, I think, is there are things that are clear in the Bible that we definitely should do and things we definitely should not do. And then there's a whole sort of area of stuff that's wise or unwise. And then there's stuff that, well, do you want to or don't you? Lots of freedom within that. But on the whole, in the Bible, being led by the Spirit is about being led into God's big plan for salvation. And we've already seen that the Spirit keeps leading us back to Jesus, to the original gospel, trusting him for salvation. And it leads us to serve one another humbly in love. See, the problem is, if we think being led by the Spirit is about lining up our personal decisions with God's will. We tend to think that, well, if you do that, then everything will be okay. So if life is a struggle, we end up feeling like we've not followed the Spirit's lead. But the Spirit leads us into conflict. The Spirit leads us into all-out war. Verse 16 and 17 So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So the Spirit leads us into conflict with our own desires. The normal Christian experience is that until the day you die, you'll want to do things that you should not do. But you'll feel the pull of the Spirit away from those things. So before we were born again, we were at war with God and at peace with ourselves and the world. But now it's the reverse. We're at war with ourselves and at peace with God. The spirit in us gives us a new heart, brings Jesus to us by faith, meaning we've got a new agenda, a new loyalty, a new set of priorities that are going in the opposite direction to what we on our own would want. And verse 16 there, it's a promise. It's a strongly worded promise. So the you will not there, it has with it the sense of, If you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not, fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit isn't an everlasting stalemate. The Spirit has your heart and he promises to empower you to resist and put off the desires of your flesh. Not in a rule following under the law kind of way, but by changing your heart's So that increasingly, your heart's desire is to be like Jesus. So a bit of mythology for you. 
In classical mythology, there's a story of Odysseus, and he and his men have to sail past these sirens. Okay, this was the um, cleanest painting of the sirens I could find for you, you know, and looking all saucy. Um, These sirens would sing irresistibly and enchant sailors so, so much that they'd smash onto the rocks or just die listening to them singing. So Odysseus's way of getting around this was he stuffed his sailors' ears with beeswax and had them tie him to the mast so that he couldn't go after the sirens until they'd passed the danger. So that's kind of like the law thing. But Orpheus, when he went past, he did a better thing. He got out his guitar or his lyre or whatever and belted out his greatest hits. He made more beautiful music than the sirens drowning out the sirens and producing something more beautiful than they were singing. So the spirit in us brings us Jesus, grows our love of him, so that increasingly our heart's desire is for him, a more beautiful thing than ourself. So I want to encourage you again, if you're struggling, if, if you're feeling the weight of struggling against sin, That is the normal Christian experience. And it shows that the spirit is working in you. And conversely, if you're not finding yourself struggling with a particular sin right now, it's not because you haven't got any. You just need help from the spirit to point it out and help us overcome it. So let me encourage you not to give up. Don't be despondent. The promise of the Spirit's help isn't like a weather forecast, which may or may not turn out to be right. The Spirit is in you. You do have his help. And he will, in the end, prevail. Paul now gives us uh, two lists to compare and contrast. What are the results of indulging in the flesh? And what the Spirit produces in us for us to keep in step with. So first of all, uh, the acts of the flesh. So verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. So any sexuality expressed and indulged outside marriage, which turns the good gift of sex into something that makes us selfish or insecure, which can take over our whole identity and can derail the rest of life. Uh, impurity and debauchery. So the excesses of a books or hen show. That weekend away where no one is watching. Idolatry. Elevating good things to be ultimate things. What we're all about instead of being about God. And witchcraft. Pagan ways of thinking. That if we just manipulate enough bits of life. Even evil things. If we just put things in the right order to make things go our way, everything will be all right. Avoiding what we fear instead of trusting in God. Or hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissension, factions and envy. So the increasingly desperate behaviours we react with when people stop us getting the desires of our flesh, or if they do a better job of getting their own desires than we do. Drunkenness, orgies, 
the way we distract ourselves and numb ourselves to cope with the emptiness of indulging our flesh. And the like. In other words, this is not a comprehensive list. You can fill in your own blanks. It's not a pretty picture. And it comes with a warning. Verse 21. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, What this isn't saying, it's not saying we fall in and out of salvation. Because we can all look at that list, can't we, and find a way we have lived like this, ways we have fallen. But see verse 21 as like a warning sign on a cliff. So the sign doesn't mean you're definitely going to fall off this cliff. The sign doesn't mean the sign's not at the bottom of the cliff telling you, congratulations, you've just fallen off the cliff. It's there, the sign is there to make sure that you don't fall off the cliff. So verses like this, it's one of the ways God ensures that our salvation is certain. So heed the warning. We need to regularly do like, one of those uncomfortable audits of ourselves against those works of the flesh. And heed the warning and walk away from them. So we're not dipping in and out of salvation. Live like this in that verse. He's talking about an unrepented pattern of life. A life deliberately characterized by these things. It's saying this is what you've been saved from. So don't go against the spirit in you by living that way anymore. Next, keeping in step. Our third heading. Paul describes what the spirit in us produces. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Notice it's fruit of the spirit. Okay, that's the image he uses. He doesn't say the dramatic rapid transformation of the spirit is. Fruit is something that grows gradually, isn't it? It grows so gradually that you can't discern it growing with the naked eye. I still feel guilty about when Sharon was pregnant with Owen. um, And my mum bumped her, late on in the pregnancy, mum bumped into the shops. And Sharon looked so ill their mum insisted that she go to the hospital straight away. And she got admitted because she had preeclampsia. But I felt so bad, I hadn't even noticed. Because I was with Sharon every day. I'd seen the change had been gradual to me. So I hadn't noticed the dramatic difference. Fruit grows gradually. All these virtues of the fruit, the fruit of the spirit, are from the same spirit. And so... They all go together. Um, There's a similar list in Colossians, and it says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Because it's possible to cultivate 
um, one of these virtues without love. And it's not fruit of the spirit. So, for example, if gentleness is not shaped by humility, it, it can just be proud and selfish defensiveness. Or you can be kind, but if kindness is without love, it can just be moral manipulation, you know, keeping, using kindness to keep others indebted to us. And any one of these fruits without love can become a source of pride for us. But the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's promise to us that he will grow in us grow us in holiness that he will make us more like jesus we can expect the spirit to keep gradually producing this fruit in us because when we began with him he put us in good standing reinforcements at the ready in our battle with sin verse 24 those who belong to christ jesus sorry those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's our spiritual reality. The power of sin to enslave us has been dealt with harshly. So we'll always have this battle against our desire to sin in this life. But it's a battle that has ultimately been won for us. Now Charles Wesley put it in a hymn like this. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. The power of sin is broken. And what's our part in this? Well, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is growing in us. I like our, our dance steps, if you like, our walking guide. Set out by him for us. And since the Spirit has dealt with our flesh harshly, since the Spirit gives us life and fruit, let's keep in step with the Spirit by us also joining in with dealing with our flesh harshly. Crucify our sinful desires is the picture. It's not put our sinful desires in a, in a spare room or in a memory box where you might go back and have a look and for old time's sake, go back and revisit. Now we need to walk in the spirit proactively. So Cameron went on a walking holiday recently. He'd love to tell you about it. And for a solid month before he went, us on the staff team knew what the weather forecast on Cradle Mountain was, you know, because we got a daily update. And why was that? Why? Because he was planning for his walk. He was planning well. He was getting prepared so the time to deal with that sin that you keep falling back into is not when you're about to do it. It's better to plan ahead, to identify your pattern of indulgence, what leads you to that point. And with the help of the Spirit, and with the help of other Christians who are humbly serving you in love, to walk another way. And that might mean drastic measures. It might mean losing friends, changing hobbies, taking the internet off your phone. Could mean drastic things. But it's all to walk in step with the Spirit, empowered by Him, 
clearing the weeds out to encourage his fruit to grow in you. So walking in step with the spirit means submitting to his rule and to his word. Now his word we know through the scriptures. So fruitfulness is not a new idea in the Bible. Um, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord or God's word. And who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Or Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So are you doing that? Are you feeding the growth of the fruit of the Spirit? By reading and obeying God's word in the Bible. Surrender to God's will. Keep trusting in Jesus to save you and grow you and produce fruit by the Holy Spirit. To sum up then. Keeping in step with this spirit means sticking with that original gospel message that he began with began you with never adding to or moving on from jesus keeping in step with the spirit means fellowship with each other as church serving one another humbly in love keeping in step with the spirit means daily walking into a fight against your sinful desires a fight in a battle ultimately won for you Walking away from acts of the flesh, walking towards acts of love. And keeping in step with the Spirit means trusting in Him to give you life, to grow fruit in you that will gradually transform you to be more and more like Jesus. Thanks, God. Thank you, Colin. I'm just going to have a time now. Often you can hear a message like that, and Colin's given us one particular command, hasn't he? Oh, command. Uh, encouragement to do uh, what he called an uncomfortable audit. I don't know if you've ever done an uncomfortable audit. Um, so uh, maybe this is a time to do it. Um, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes just of quiet, prayerful reflection. Maybe over the last... This sermon or the series, you've, you've had your, your conscience pricked by the Spirit at a particular point or some area where you want to uh, grow and develop, uh, not only in your understanding, but in your practical outworking of that, uh, that link between theory and life. So just spend a couple of minutes now. Uh, Jeff will come up after a suitable time uh, and lead us in prayer, but maybe uh, prayerfully reflect yourself. What is god been laying on your heart what have you been learning uh and under his hand and by his strength uh what progress uh do you seek to make as you seek to live in step with the spirit so spend just a moment now uh, and then jeff's going to come and lead us in prayer